Okay, I wanna make a quick announcement before we get started here today. I am going to be speaking live. I am a featured speaker at this year's Flip Hacking Live. If you don't know about Flip Hacking Live, it is the absolute mecca of real estate events each year. It is a premier event. You will learn more at this event than you have learned at any other event all of them combined, I would predict, honestly. It is so amazing and packed with real learning, real knowledge, uh, experts in the industry giving away all their secrets to help you create a better business for yourself, to grow your business, or even to launch your business. I'm telling you, there's no better use of your time at any event than Flip Hacking Live. And this year, it's taking place on October 14th through the 16th, and it is in Orlando, Florida, and it's a live, in-person event. All of the COVID protocols are going to be observed, so if you're nervous about that, don't worry. They're not gonna pack you in like sardines. There's plenty of spacing. Uh, Face masks, obviously, are encouraged, and it is as safe as humanly possible, but I'm telling you, this is the event you need to go to. I am speaking at this event, and my talk alone, I think, is worth the price of admission. It's very, very inexpensive. Guys, you really owe it to yourself to go check this out. If you want to learn more, go to bestrealestateevent.com. That's bestrealestateevent.com. Go check it out. Go grab your tickets. I'll be there. I would love to talk to you in person and sit down and spend a little time, but I can't do that if you're not there. So go check it out. Get your tickets now. Can't wait to see you. Quick story. I just purchased a new house for my for my family, personal residence. And I'm having contractors come in and do painting and do carpeting and all kinds of different stuff. And you know, a lot of, I'm there during the day when they're doing this stuff and I'm able to, you know, like, you know, receive them in the morning and I'm there when when they go take a break for lunch and I'm there when they're done for the day. So a fair question that I got recently from from pretty much all the contractors that have come through is what do you do? Like, what do you do for a living? Because I'm there all the time, right? It looks like I'm doing nothing to them. And I tell them I'm a real estate investor. And they start asking me questions about it. And I was explaining to one of the contractors what wholesaling is. And he kind of knew, he, he had a concept of what wholesaling was. And he's like, yeah, I, I kind of understand what it is. He said, but I would be too nervous, like too scared to do it. And the reason why, and I didn't get into this with him, but the reason why he's scared to do it is because he's confused about it, right? How many times have you heard the saying? I probably said it on here. A confused mind says no. And so he's too scared to do it. Not because it's scary. It's because he doesn't understand it. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me on Just Our Real Estate. I appreciate you being here. I'm happy to be back here with you and delivering another fantastic, action-packed, content-rich Q&A from Facebook that I do every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. You can log on live and ask questions anytime you want. If you don't have the time, if it's not good for you, if you just don't want to do that, you can always come here and listen to the replay, which I think is very, very helpful as well. So uh, I have another one for you today. We talk about things like how long a flip should take, right? Should they take six months? Should they take six weeks? Should they take six days, right? I know people who have done them in all three time frames. So which one is actually uh, the more realistic, but also doable, right? 
how does wholesaling work? I broke down in great detail what wholesaling is, all the components, how they work, how they play with each other. Uh, I talked about doing multiple flips. Uh, what do you do if you have a flip going and a couple more come your way that are just great? Like, how do you handle doing multiple flips uh, if you're a smaller uh, person, a smaller company, or a smaller business? Uh, and then calculating ARV, we talked a little bit about that and how how you should do it. And we talked about the um, you know the seventy percent rule and how, where does that come into play and and a, and a bunch of other stuff, bunch of other questions. So uh, buckle in, get ready. This one was a really really fun one, and uh, I think you're gonna really enjoy it. So here we go. Q&A from Facebook. All right, we are live. Thank you for joining me here on the uh, live Q&A that I do every week. You can find me here. Uh, I'm going to just open up my, my window here so I can see everybody. Okay, I do this every week. We do this every week. If you're here with me asking questions, uh, we show up here on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, uh, 4 p.m. Pacific. So if this is the first time that you're joining, welcome. I appreciate you being here. Uh, this is open Q&A. You can ask me anything you want. Uh, I'm assuming you're going to ask me real estate uh, investing related questions. That's kind of what we do here. Um, but uh, feel free, ask away. Uh, if you're seeing this in replay, then you can always um, check out uh, this live on Wednesdays, like I said, at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, 4 p.m. Pacific, and or you can send questions to me uh, at Mike at JustStartRealEstate.com. That's one option. You can do that. Uh, you can DM me on Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, uh, TikTok, for that matter. Uh, you can get me any any of those places and ask questions, and I will bring them into this forum and I'll answer them for you. I also want to make sure to remind you guys. Uh, a few months back, back in June, I launched the first ever program that I have created. Now, I have been investing in real estate, flipping, wholesaling, landlords, lending money—you name it—in real estate. I've been doing it since 2008. And let me tell you something, I've made a ton of mistakes along the way, like a lot of us do. Most people who are have any level of success in anything have made mistakes, and I'm no exception. I've made mistakes. So I've learned a lot from my mistakes. I've also had tre tremendous success. I, I have achieved and far exceeded the goals that I had when I was starting out. And part of that success for me was mentoring and coaching and being in a mastermind with folks like you who were at various stages of growing their business. And some of them hadn't even really started yet. And so I've been able to coach and mentor people for the last about six years now. And, and I've been able to uh, get behind the scenes in their business, understand what they're struggling with, help them through that, see what they got right, what, what maybe they continue to struggle with, the successes and the failures and all of their businesses and I've taken all of that knowledge of my own and what I've seen in the students that I've coached and mentored. And I put together a very comprehensive, action-packed, fast-paced blueprint. And it's called the Real Estate Find and Fund Blueprint. And why is it called that? It's called the Find and Fund Blueprint because it has been shown to me over time that the two biggest questions, the, the, the two most common challenges that people are dealing with in real estate investing in this world is on some level, finding deals and funding them. Now you may say, I can find deals. I'm finding deals. 
Are you finding good deals? Are you finding profitable deals? Are you finding deals that you can make the profit spreads that you really want? And if so, do you need more deals? Are you, as the deal flow, not where you want it to be? For a lot of us who've been doing this for a while, the deal flow five years ago was pretty great. It was a little bit easier to get deals back then than it is now for some people. And so people are experiencing this, this problem with deal flow and they're not getting enough into their business. Other people may be having trouble with leads or maybe not, but in, in any event, when they get a lead, they're struggling to get it funded. And so that can be a big problem because really a really bad, it's like one of those good, bad problems. A good, bad problem is I've got leads like crazy, no way to fund it, right? The good part of the problem is you've got leads. That's great. But if you can't fund them and ultimately you don't, you're not able to, to take them down, you're not able to purchase them, uh, that's a problem. So we need to be able to find and fund deals. And I'm primarily, my business is primarily wholesaling. And I'm telling you, finding deals is huge because that's what wholesalers are. They're deal finders, right? We're deal finders. But we, while we don't have to necessarily fund the purchase of the deal, sometimes we do because sometimes as a wholesaler, we do want to buy that property just to get it sold right away, right? Sometimes we buy it and then sell it immediately to our buyers for various reasons, but that means we do need the money to buy the deal sometimes. As a wholesaler, I can tell you, if I've got the funding to buy any deal that I have, if I can't find a buyer in a, in a quick enough, or if I just want to for whatever reason, it changes the game for me. It gives me an advantage over my competitors who don't have funding. And so if you're listening to this as a wholesaler and thinking, I don't, I don't need to fund deals. Well, maybe you do, but even if you don't, I'll bet you need to find more deals. And, and if you don't need to find more deals, my guess is you need to find better deals. So all of this to say, I've put together this program, guys. It is for you. It's four weeks long. It starts September 21st. And I really want you to go check it out. And I really want you to join because I think this can be a game changer and and in fact will be a game changer for you you can go to find and fund blueprint.com that's find and fund blueprint.com go check it out sign up i'll be there for you this is not just a video you're watching it's it's me it's live it's me helping you presenting to you and doing a a, a in uh like a mastermind q a like just a very intimate group of those of you who join we're going to be solving problems that are that you're having in your specific business. So go check it out. I want to I want to help you out this year. By the way, there's plenty of time left in the year to make a huge splash and to hit those goals that you set back in January if you haven't hit them yet. So I want to see you guys there. Okay, let's dive into today's questions. <clears throat> and there's kind of a lot of them. And uh, I did I did peek at them before I hopped on here. And I'll tell you guys, I, I'll be honest, some of you who, who watch this or listen to this regularly or who are on here live regularly, or even um, some of the people that work with me who are on right now, I could take almost any one of these questions and make it an hour long answer, right? We can get as granular as, as, as can be, but that's not necessarily what this is about. So uh, the format here is I try to answer six to eight questions uh, within you know about an hour or so, 45 minutes to an hour. 
Um, but if you really want more in-depth answers, you can hop on here live, ask the question, and then you get a chance to ask, ask follow-up questions if you're if you're on here live. If you're listening to this after the fact, you're you're hearing my answer, um, and you can always write me or hop onto the next live and get more more in-depth clarification if you need it. Okay, uh, first question. Uh, I am completely overwhelmed in my business and I'm thinking about hiring an assistant, but I'm kind of a control freak. Do you have an assistant and what specific tasks do you feel comfortable letting having them do? Um, it's a great question. If you're overwhelmed in your business, I think you need to stop thinking about hiring an assistant and start hiring an assistant, in my opinion. Most people hire way too late. By the time most people get around or think that they're able to hire and do it, they should have done it a long time ago. So that's that's my opinion on that. Now, do I have an assistant? Yes. Um, what specific tasks do you feel comfortable? That's really a, a, a very um, individual question, and it, and it varies. Some people have different, you know, levels of trust in that they that they can muster up for people. Um, I'm a bit of a control freak on, on certain things and there's certain things that I really don't like doing and I'm not as much of a control freak. Doesn't mean I don't know, want to know what's happening, but I, I'm very, um, I'm comfortable giving someone a task uh, if I feel like they have the ability to do it and letting them do it and just sort of giving them, <clears throat> sometimes giving like, a, like in bowling, how they have the bumpers, just trying to provide the bumpers so they never really stray outside of what I want done ultimately, but how they get it done in the, in the details, I'm not as concerned about. And then there's certain things that I, I don't, I, I either can't or don't want to relinquish control of because it just doesn't make sense. Um, so, and it really depends on what you, so for me, I, details are my Achilles heel. That's I'm not great with details. Details slip through the cracks with me all the time. So when I uh, hired an assistant, I needed someone who could kind of go behind me and make sure that I wasn't dropping too many things from my plate that had to get done. And if I drop a couple of things, they kind of go behind me and pick them up and put them back on my plate and, and sort of tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you forget about this? Don't, don't forget about this. <clears throat> and that's what I needed, someone to help me with the details. Um, but, you know, for you, it could be different. Maybe details you love and maybe there's other things that you don't love. So it's what I have my assistant do is kind of irrelevant, but I do have uh, I do have her uh, helping with email and it's evolved too, by the way, what I hired her to do and what she's doing now, it's a little different and it probably will continue to evolve. Um, but originally it was like helping me with my calendar, helping me making sure I don't miss any emails. Um, I have a podcast, Just Start Real Estate. You, if you're listening to it on that, you, you already know. But if not, if you're listening to me on Facebook, uh, I have a podcast called Just Start Real Estate. So I needed someone to help me with show notes and to get some of the social media stuff done. And you know, some of those like little details that I, I once I produce the show or once I um, create the content, I want somebody else to take that content and, and put it in the format that it needs to be to be uploaded. Um, uh, for a podcast or for Instagram or for Facebook or whatever. So it was a lot of those kind of kind of details that that I had her doing originally. But at this point, <clears throat> she kind of as a, does everything like jack of all trades. She's helped. She helps me with anything that I'm involved in. For the most part, she's she's involved in helping me um, do it and, and sort of 
taking notes and making sure that I'm not missing any of the, any of the fine points that, that I might miss otherwise, because I'm just not detailed, but I think you need to get out of your own head with being a control freak. Uh, because most of us are pretty good at some things and then we're just okay at most other things. And then there's some things we're horrible at. So for sure, bring someone in early on, give them what you're really bad at, what you don't like doing. Like that's the first kind of stuff you should download, whatever that is, download that because that's probably clogging up your head. It's giving you anxiety. It's making you feel guilty because you're probably procrastinating doing it. And all those things are bad. So bring someone in who can help you with that. And then, you know, at some point, a little bit kind of get over the fear of trusting, you know, it's weird. I have trust issues in my life in some ways, um, but I have like insane ability to trust in other ways. Like I've given people access to stuff that probably I shouldn't super early on, but I just generally, uh, once I hire someone and kind of have a good feeling about them, I I tend to trust them pretty much. So, um, yeah, I, I just say you got to get over your get over yourself a little bit with being a control freak. You're not great at everything, so there's no point in being. Some there's a lot of things that people will do better than you, and you just have to let go and let you know bring in good people and let them really be great at what they do and give them control of doing it. Uh, as long as they understand the objective and what the goal is, how they get to that goal, maybe isn't doesn't have to be your way, right? <clears throat> but if you, you if you're overwhelmed. You know, overwhelmed says it all. You're you're not busy. You're not thinking that you're getting overwhelmed. You are completely, it says, completely overwhelmed. If you're completely overwhelmed, hire someone today. Get that ad out today. Get them hired immediately. And and you'll see a big difference. In my business, um, one of the single biggest um, moves, biggest things that I did to, to kind of really explode my business when it wasn't as big as it is now is I hired and I got great people in to do great work. And and that enabled, you know, it's like what I can do, then you hire two or three people. Now you're doing, you know, 10 times what you're able to do on your own. You're getting, you know, 10 times of production because you hired some people. So uh, I say, bring people in to do what you're bad at, what you don't like, and then kind of build off of that. But you've got to get over the control freak thing. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to go this alone. This is not necessarily a one man job, so to speak. Um, unless you want to just stay really, really small and just do what you're capable of doing as one person. And there's nothing wrong with that, but if you're overwhelmed, that tells me you want to do more and you want to grow. So bring someone in to help you. Okay. Next question on average, how long does it, I'm sorry, how long does a flip tend to take if you have contractors getting the work done? Uh, want to know what I should expect from them time-wise. Um, it's like saying, how long does it take to build a house? Uh, it depends. Are you building a two-bedroom ranch with no basement or are you building a Taj Mahal, right? It's a little bit of a tough question to answer, but I'll just give you you know, averages because in all fairness, the question does say on average. So I think most flips, unless it's just a like unbelievably huge dumpster fire of a house, most average 1200 square feet, three bedroom, two bathroom houses. Um, and like I said, unless you're just gutting it, taking it down to the studs, you're just doing, you know, paint, carpet, kitchen, bathroom, maybe replacing the roof, maybe a hot water heater or a furnace, you know, just kind of doing the average, the basic stuff. I really think 
four weeks is a good number to shoot for. I think more than eight weeks is problematic. I think if it takes you longer than eight weeks, somebody is not on top of it. And it's probably you because not because you're doing the work, but because it's your job as the, as the investor, as the owner of the house, it's your job to make sure the contractors are showing up, that they're doing the work they're supposed to be doing. You have to you know, manage your timelines and your budgets. You want your contractors to also be doing that, but they're not responsible for that. I mean, you could make them responsible, but ultimately you're the one who gets hurt if it goes over budget or over time. So you have to manage that stuff. So for the most part, most flips, like I said, unless they're unusually difficult or large, I think four weeks is a great, a great target to shoot for more than eight weeks is problematic. Uh, I've got a good friend of mine in the seven figure flipping group, uh, the mastermind that, that I'm a part of his name's Tyler Jensen, and he famously has done flips in seven days. So it can be done in seven days. That is not, you know, as they say, um, you know, this is, this, this is being done by a professional. Please don't try this at home. Like you can do it in seven days. And Tyler does, uh, talk about how he's, he he's on, you can find him online, but he talks about how he gets it done in seven days. It's aggressive and it's not necessarily what everyone should be thinking they should be doing or they're failing. Um, but I think four weeks is pretty good. Eight weeks is long. You know, anything after eight weeks, you need to start kind of thinking about what what maybe you should should have done differently or should do differently to get that thing done. Because time matters. It's not just, you know, and the reason why you don't want to take more than eight weeks is because hold times, cost of money, you know, all of those things um, play a part. And so when people say, well, I'm going to do a lot of the work myself, I just roll my eyes because I know it's going to take a long time for for the most part, unless they are a contractor and they do this for a living. uh, It's probably going to take a long time. And most people do that because they're trying to save money. And while maybe they're saving money on the labor for the contractor, they're costing themselves money through time, right? The cost of money, um, taxes, insurance, all these things add up and and the meter's running as long as you have this house. So the sooner you can get it done, the better. I say shoot for four weeks. If you're getting them done in four weeks, I think you should feel pretty good about that and, and kind of turn and burn these things and, and get them up back on the market and get them sold. You know, if you could have like a 90 day window of from purchase to sale, <clears throat> I think that's pretty solid. Uh, if you're not quite hitting that, don't beat yourself up. I, but I think it's a pretty good thing to shoot for. 90 days is pretty good. Uh, 120 days, if it's going longer than that, you really are starting to have a real problem. So I think 90 days from start to finish, not the renovation part, but from the time you purchase it to the time you get it sold after the renovation, 90 days is pretty awesome. Four weeks for the renovation itself is pretty good. Um, Okay, next question. How often should you be on the job site when hiring contractors? Great question. Um, Unfortunately, the answer is it depends. And here's what it depends on. How long have you been using these contractors? How many flips have you done? Um, how hard of a, of, a, of a job is it? You know, th- those are some of the questions I would ask you. Um, but in general, and, and the reason I ask how long you've been flipping houses is because if you're a brand new investor and this is your first deal, I think you should be there almost every day. Uh, if not every other day, you should be there. I would not let more than one day go by without getting eyes on that project. Because chances are, if it's your first deal, you've never worked with this contractor before. So that's 
two, two variables that you have to be concerned about your lack of experience and your lack of familiarity with the contractor. So get there every day or every other day, if you're new and you've never used this contract before, if you've, if you're not new and you have a brand new contractor on the job, again, I would be there like every day or every other day, or at least get eyes on. So if you're doing this remotely, whoever is helping you project manage, I would have them eyes on every single day. I would be getting on FaceTime or something, Skype or something, and just Zoom, whatever you have to do, and and get your eyes on this project, even if it's remotely. <clears throat> I wouldn't just trust that things are getting done because a contractor told you that they are. Um, if you're if you've been in the game a long time and you've done a lot of deals and you've used this contractor for years and you've done just tons of stuff together, you know it's not as often. Maybe maybe you only go once a week. Maybe you go once every other week, right? But that's that you're getting into a risky you're getting into risky territory when you do that because a lot can go wrong in a week and even more can go wrong in two weeks. So you, you, you're 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 kind of taking a calculated risk when you don't show up for a week or two. But again, if you've used this contractor for, you know, three dozen houses and it's always went like clockwork and, you know, you've done so many deals and you've just got this system and everything's sort of like dialed in. <clears throat> yeah. Maybe you don't go every single day, but I think most people should be on the job site um, three to five times a week, regardless of experience, regardless of anything. I think three at a minimum, um, and five is probably enough in most situations to get to be on the job. Okay, next question for someone um, for someone just starting in real estate, how many projects is normal to take on after you complete your first flip or wholesale? Um, flipping and wholesaling, I have a different answer. So I'll, I'll attack wholesaling first. Uh, there is no limit to the amount of wholesaling deals that I would take on, even if I was just did one. Uh, because I think once you do one and you get that process under your belt, you should be, you know, for wholesaling, it's a, it's volume. You, you have to be finding deals and you, and you really, that you should not be limiting yourself necessarily. Um, the limit is how many good deals can you find? It's not a matter of signing garbage contracts just to get contracts signed. Um, if you find if you're new to wholesaling, you do your first deal, you make money, great. And then you get 10 deals come across your desk in one day uh, or come through your marketing or whatever. You get 10 of them and they're all just killer. I would not turn it. I would sign every single one of those things, but then you have to really bust your butt to go and find the buyers. Because if you're brand new, my guess is you don't have a, a substantial buyer's list. You don't have a great buyer's list. Maybe you don't even have a buyer's list. So you're going to have to really get to work building out that buyer's list fast, getting to RIAs, um, you know, finding groups online that would be interested. Like you've got to really, really work hard or you're going to lose the contract. It's going to, you know, it's going to time out or whatever, because you can't tie up a property and, you know, just sort of expect it to sell itself. You've got it. That's where the work starts coming in as a, as a wholesaler. So I don't, I don't see a huge limit on how many it's, it's really more limited by circumstances or just by your ability to find deals. My guess is if you're brand new, you're not going to get overwhelmed with deals in the beginning. Um, especially in this market, deals are a little harder to come by. So the work involved with getting a high volume of deals as a wholesaler you know, it's fairly significant. So I, I think you're not going to get a bunch of deals without significant effort and, and really 
purposefully trying to get those deals. And, um, and that's why my program, the find and fund blueprint, blueprint program, that's why it's, I think it's going to be so valuable for people because there are a lot of people who want more deals as a wholesaler. They're like, Hey, I need more deals. You know, most people don't have the problem of how I have too many and I think I'm too new. So I'm not going to take them all on. Like, Take them on. I mean, worst case scenario, you get a deal as a wholesaler that's a good deal and you can't find a buyer, email me because I know buyers, I know flippers all around the country, high volume flippers that probably will want it. So you can always reach out to me if you've got that kind of a situation. If it's a really good deal, don't call me to evaluate your deal. But if you know it's a great deal, you can you can reach out to me. Uh, as a flipper, um, if this is a totally different answer now. If you're a flipper and you've done one deal, assuming... Uh, yeah, assuming that your first deal went pretty well, I would say I, I wouldn't, I mean, are, if you're working full-time, so that's another qualifying question. Are you working full-time or did you quit your job to do real estate, right? It's a different answer. I'm going to assume most people when they're starting off have a full-time job. And so this person under their scenario, they, they kind of did one deal. They have a full-time job. How many, uh, how many projects should you take on? With a full-time job, I don't know that I would take on more than one or two at a time. In the very beginning, I wouldn't probably think, I think it's going to be a little problematic. It's going to be a little bit um, difficult for you to give them the attention they require and to really follow them and to be there every day or every other day if you're doing more than two, maybe three. Now, this also is dependent on how much time do you actually have. So if you have a full-time job and you work 60 hours a week, I think maybe one, two at the very most is going to be just overwhelming for you. If you have the kind of job where, you know, maybe you only work six hours a day or, you, you know, maybe seven, sometimes eight, and you have weekends off and you have a flexible schedule or you work from home and you have flex time or whatever, you know, maybe two or three you could do at that point. If you really want to be aggressive and if you're really trying to build this thing and you're trying to really be aggressive, two or three, I think is pretty good. I think anybody who has a full-time job who tries to do more than three flips at a time is going to probably fail. I just think it's going to be difficult at best to do that. So, you know, one to two is probably reasonable if you're a real like butt kicker and you've got time and you're just like, you know, no, you have no significant other, no kids, and you just got nothing but time and you work a full-time job. I think three is reasonable, but I don't think I'd do more than that. So one to three is the answer, depending on your situation. Okay. Next question. I have about $100,000 to invest in real estate, but I have no interest in being a landlord or working with contractors. Is there another way to invest where someone who is an expert in evaluating properties can invest my money? Um, Yes, uh, you can reach out to me directly. I have a fund. I would be happy to utilize your money and uh, lend it out as an expert in evaluating properties. So there's people like me who, who uh, are raising money for this exact purpose. I'd be happy to talk to you. You can invest the money yourself. You can play bank or you can play private investor and you can evaluate the properties and, and loan the money out to 
people who are experts or, you know, people that you, uh, you have to vet them obviously know that they're experts, but if, if you believe that they're experts and they show themselves to be experts, you can loan the money out and charge a little bit more than somebody like me could pay you because I'm, I would be borrowing your money and lending it out at a higher rate so that I can pay you a certain rate and I make a certain rate. Um, but you can make a little more, but it's a little more active. You're going to have to underwrite deals. You're going to have to know that the deal that you're lending money on is a good deal. And that sort of isn't what you're asking. You're, you're not asking to be the expert who's evaluating properties, which you have to sort of do if you're going to be a private lender. You have to make sure that what you're lending on makes sense and the numbers work out. But somebody like me who raises money, I have a fund, I raise money and I loan money out to, to people on a big scale. I'm doing the evaluation. So I would borrow your money. I would give you a, a rate of return that we agree on. And then I would load it out and I would do all the underwriting and I would make sure that the loans that we're making are on properties that actually make sense. So those are a couple of options for you. You can lend it out yourself and learn how to evaluate properties so you don't get yourself in trouble lending on a property that isn't of the value that you're being told. Okay, that's one option. Or you could put it with a bigger company who, who lends money out and has the, the backend underwriting already in place. So uh, if that's something that's interesting for you, you can always reach out to me and uh, we can talk about it and see if it makes sense for you. Just email me at mike at juststartrealestate.com. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> Next question. Can you outline how to accurately calculate a property's ARV? Let's start with explaining ARV for anyone who doesn't know. I'm sure a lot of you do, but if you don't, ARV stands for after repair value. And the way that you calculate after repair value is you want to, first of all, understand that the MLS is probably... And eh, that's probably not even the right way to say it. The MLS is the best way to evaluate properties. Having access to the MLS or working with someone who has access to the MLS, in my opinion, is the best and only way to really, really most accurately um, determine a property's after repair value. But once you have that, whether it's your access to the MLS or a realtor friend or someone who you're working with who has access, what you need to do is understand ARV is trying to, uh, you're, you're trying to compare your property or the property that you're thinking about buying to other properties that are like it in physical characteristics, size, location, number of bedrooms, number of bathrooms, basement, garage, um, year built style of house, whether it be a ranch, a colonial, a tri-level, bi-level, whatever, um, split level, whatever it is, you want to compare to similar houses. But the important thing, and this is where I think a lot of realtors get it wrong when they're trying to help investors or when they're trying to do it for themselves, you're only comparing to properties that sold and were renovated, completely renovated, like you're proposing renovating the house that you're trying to get the ARV for. So if I'm a house flipper and I find a house that's sort of in bad shape, right? It needs, needs work. It, there's, there's equity that can be, can be built in there because the house needs work. I want to compare that to properties who are, that are just like it in size and number of bedrooms and bathrooms and all of that. But I only want to compare it to properties that sold that are renovated, like I'm going to renovate it. You can't compare it, in my opinion, you cannot compare it to properties that are active on the MLS. In other words, they are not sold. They are for sale. 
Okay. That is relevant when you're a realtor and you're trying to understand how much you're going to list a property for. The other properties that are currently listed are relevant, but when you're looking for ARV, you should only be using sold comps or sold comparables, comparable of houses that have already sold. And the reason why is houses that are for sale, if you've ever put a house up for sale, whether it be yours or a flip or whatever, when you put the house up for sale, that is what you're hoping to get for the house. It's not what the data is necessarily showing you that you will get. It's what you want to get. It may even be what you think you should get, but it is not what necessarily what you're going to get. What you're going to get is what you get when it sells, right? That's what you're going to get. So when you have a house that you want to figure out, I'm going to flip this house. I want to know what it will sell for so I can do my math and figure out what the maximum allowable offer is. You need to just be use real actual data, like not emotional, not what a house is for sale for right now in the same on the same street in that neighborhood because that's that's somebody's wish. You need to know what houses have sold for so that you can get an accurate comparable and ARB for your house. So, how do you calculate it properly, sold houses within, let's just say a half a mile or so, sold houses within a half a mile that have similar square footage, similar build style, and the same number of bedrooms, bathrooms, and a basement if it has one. Like if that, if your house has a basement, you should be comparing it to a house with a basement. If your house has a garage, compare it to a house with a garage. If your house has an attached garage, compare it to an attached garage. That's those are that's how you get an accurate ARV. You don't look at foreclosures. You can't compare it to something that isn't renovated. It must be compared to renovated houses that have sold. Okay. I'm beating this into you because I think it's very important. And I think this is where a lot of people um, screw up because they're not comparing it to sold properties that are fully renovated. They're doing other things. So sold properties that are fully renovated that have similar characteristics is how you get proper ARVs. Okay. Uh, let's see. Next question. Let's see. Uh, I want, I want to wholesale real estate, but I'm super nervous. I'm too scared, uh, to get started. Let's see. I'm too scared to get started and I don't know exactly what I'm doing. I know this is kind of a basic question, but how does wholesaling work? What are the steps involved? Okay. Wow, this question, I literally could talk about it for the for an entire hour, but let's let me just break this down because I think this is yes, it is a basic question, but I think it's a fair question. Um, I think it's a fair question because a lot of us, and I just had this recently. I quick story. I, I just purchased a new house for my for my family, personal residence. And I'm having contractors come in and do painting and do carpeting and all kinds of different stuff. And, you know, a lot, of, I'm there during the day when they're doing this stuff and I'm able to, you know, like, you know, receive them in the morning and I'm there when, when they go take a break for lunch and I'm there when they're done for the day. So a fair question that I got recently from, from pretty much all the contractors that have come through is what do you do? Like, what do you do for a living? Because I'm there all the time, right? It looks like I'm doing nothing to them. And I tell them I'm a real estate investor. And they start asking me questions about it. And I was explaining to one of the contractors what wholesaling is. And he kind of knew, he, he had a concept of what wholesaling was. 
And he's like, yeah, I, I kind of understand what it is. He said, but I would be too nervous, like too scared to do it. And in the reason why, and I didn't get into this with him, but the reason why he's scared to do it is because he's confused about it. Right. How many times have you heard the saying? I probably said it on here. A confused mind says no. And so he's too scared to do it. Not because it's scary. It's because he doesn't understand it. And because he doesn't understand it, it's, it makes him nervous. So I'm going to go through this question. I mean, this could be way more granular than what I'm going to do, but I want to give some high level, some 10,000 foot view of what wholesaling is. Cause I think some of you might have the question, but you don't want to ask. I'll tell you what, I was in real estate for about six years, five years, five or six years before I knew what wholesaling was. I, I had heard the term and I was, I was afraid of it because I didn't know what it was. I, to me, it was this very vague thing that I knew some of the steps and some of the steps were I had no clue. And so it just seemed like this thing that had all these gaps that I wasn't, I didn't know how to bridge these gaps. I just didn't know what was supposed to happen in between certain events. So, <clears throat> so I was nervous about it. So I'm going to answer this question. What is wholesaling? So at a really like a 30,000 foot view, wholesaling is this. You have three primary people in a wholesale deal. You have the seller of the home. Okay, the homeowner or the home seller, you have the wholesaler, and then you have a buyer who is going to ultimately be the one who purchases the seller's house. Okay. And so the way it works is a wholesaler typically does marketing and, and other uh, things to try to generate leads, to try to generate opportunities to find people who want to sell their house at a discount. So <clears throat> as a wholesaler, I do marketing and I find someone calls me and they say, Hey, uh, I got your postcard in the mail. I see that you buy houses for cash. I want to buy my house. I need to close quickly. My house is not in great shape. You know, they might've inherited it or whatever. So I go to the house. I take a look at it. I talk to the homeowner or the seller. We negotiate a price to purchase the house. And so for hypothetical reasons or for the, the purpose of this, of this, um, you know, theoretical experiment. Let's just say I, I agree to buy the house for $100,000. So we sign a purchase agreement between the homeowner and, and me, my company, right? So I have an agreement to purchase that seller's house for $100,000, me and him, right? <clears throat> then as a wholesaler, I know that I ultimately don't want to buy the house. So I go to my list of buyers, people who have previously reached out to me and said, I flip houses. I want to buy houses that you find. If you find a good deal, let me know. So I take that purchase agreement. I take the information and I send, in my case, I send an email to all of my buyers and say, hey, buyers, I have this property. Here's how many bedrooms, bathrooms, square footage. Here's a bunch of pictures of it. If you're interested in buying this property, I will sell it to you for $110,000, let's just say, for, for the sake of this, of this example, $110,000. Now, let's recap. I've offered to pay the seller $100,000. And then I made that, that property for, uh, for sale or, or I offered it to my buyers for $110,000, which means 
I have built in a $10,000 profit for me. If I have a buyer on my list who raises their hand and says, I want to buy that house and I will pay $110,000 for that house, that number, that price works for me. I send them a contract that's called an assignment contract. An assignment contract, okay, so now we have three people involved. We have the seller, we have me, and we have my buyer who said, I'll pay $110,000. Okay, so three people. Right now, there's only one contract in, in, involved, and that's the purchase agreement between me and the seller. Okay, that's, a, that's one contract. Me and the seller have a purchase agreement. The assignment contract that I send my buyer is the second document that's in this, in this scenario now. And that document's called an assignment contract. And, and me and the buyer, we sign that. And what it says is, I agree to assign my legal rights to the purchase agreement as, as the person on the purchase agreement. I am selling you the, I'm selling you my right to buy this property. I'm selling it to the buyer. I'm selling my right to buy this property to the buyer and I'm selling it to him for the price of $10,000, okay? Now we have a seller, wholesaler, me, and a buyer. And we have a contract between me and the seller and another contract, an assignment contract between me and the buyer. Three people, two contracts. Both of those contracts, the purchase agreement and the assignment contract go to the title company. The title company gets these contracts and they say, okay, I see we have a purchase agreement between the seller and the wholesaler. And I see we have an assignment contract that gives this buyer the authority to close on behalf of the wholesaler for the cost of $10,000. All those documents go to title. Title does their title work. They run a title search and they make sure that all the liens and everything are, are accounted for. And when we go to closing, the seller goes to closing, the buyer has to bring to closing $100,000 to close on the purchase agreement in place of me, and another $10,000 have to be brought to title to pay me my $10,000 assignment fee, right? It's the fee that they have agreed to pay in order to take over this contract. And so they, they bring $110,000. The seller gets their $100,000 that, that I agreed to with them. They get their $100,000. I get $10,000 and the buyer gets the property. And they essentially paid $110,000 total for it, okay? I know there's closing costs. I, I get it. There's other fees that are involved, but just to keep the numbers clean, that's how wholesaling works, okay? It's really not that difficult. Now, that's how a wholesale deal works. And that's fine for when you're just starting off, you find a deal, right? You find a seller who wants to sell, you get a contract, you find a buyer, you get the assignment contract, you go to closing, you get paid. And so very simple, very straightforward. When you start growing your wholesaling company and doing more and more deals, now you start needing to put people in certain seats. You need to start building out a team. And part of the building out the team, if you're going to do more and more deals, you also have to build out a marketing strategy so that you're not just getting one deal every three or four or six months, once a year, just like when the wind changes direction, you get a deal somehow, you don't know how. If you want to start creating a business that has predictable, reliable results, you have to build a predictable, reliable marketing mechanism that brings in those deals, right? So 
a marketing strategy or a marketing person is one seat in a wholesaling company. Another seat or the next seat in line uh, as, as the pr process goes through is someone who takes the incoming leads, whether that's calls or emails or text messages, whatever you're doing for marketing, somebody has to receive those inquiries. And that person, we call them lead intake. Typically in our world, they're answering a phone. <clears throat> But depending on what your marketing is, they might be responding to an email, responding to a text, who knows, but you have a lead intake person. They're the ones who interface first with the seller that you've reached out to via your marketing. They interface with them first to try to find out, do they have a house to sell? How much do they want for it? What's their motivation for selling, right? That helps because the next person in line is what we call an acquisitions person or an acquisitions manager. An acquisitions manager's job is to take the information from the lead intake person <clears throat> and then reach out to the seller or go to the seller on a visit, an in-person visit, and sit down and try to really understand the circumstances and the situation that the seller's in and ultimately negotiate a price that's agreeable to both parties, my company and the seller. So that's the acquisitions person's job. They get that contract, they bring it back, and in our company, they give it to the next person in line, which is called dispositions. A dispositions person or dispositions manager, their job is to take that purchase agreement that the acquisitions person got, take that purchase agreement and market it out to the buyers. Like I talked about in my 30,000 foot example, they take that purchase agreement and they send an email out to all the buyers that have previously told us that they want to buy houses from us. And they say, hey, we have this property under contract. Here are the details and here's how much we want for the property if you buy it, including our assignment. So that's the dispositions job. The next person on the line is transactions, transaction coordinator. They take all the documents, the purchase agreement, the assignment contract, any other documents that's involved, and they send them to title and they work directly with the title company to get all of the title work done and to get a closing date set. Okay. And then in our company, the last person in line is the, our bookkeeper. And I think that's a very important person in anybody's company, whether you're a landlord, a house flipper, or a wholesaler, it doesn't matter. Everybody needs a bookkeeper, in my opinion. So the last person in line is a bookkeeper. That's where all the closing docs get sent to the bookkeeper. It all gets logged and in, 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 uh, input into QuickBooks so that at the end of the year, we have a good bookkeeping uh, accounting of what we did so we can send it to our CPA. So that's, the, that's all the seats involved in a wholesaling company. But at a high level, you're just finding a seller who wants to sell. You're getting a purchase agreement at a price that you guys can agree on. You take that purchase agreement and you uh, make it available to a buyer who wants to buy it. You charge them money for taking legal control of your purchase agreement via uh, an assignment contract. And you all go to closing and you get your assignment fee. The seller gets the sale price that you agreed to and the buyer gets the house, okay? That's probably the most succinct explanation I've ever given for wholesaling, but that's exactly what it is. It's not hard. It's not um, overly complicated. It just takes you doing it once like anything else. It takes you doing it once to feel comfortable that you know how to do it and you know what you're doing. Um, but, but it really isn't more than that. And you shouldn't be afraid of it. If you have more questions or you have more concerns and you are 
interested in investing in yourself to understand the process at a, at a much better level, a much deeper level, you can go to uh, my program, the Find and Fund Blueprint, go to findandfund.com. I'm sorry, findandfundblueprint.com and join the program. And we're going to break all this down, how to find deals, how to fund them. But in between, what do you do? What's the structure of your business? And there's always time every week. There's always time for Q&A. You can ask very specific questions about your specific situation. Okay. Um, all right. It looks like we got another question here. Uh, a follow-up question. Does the buyer know the amount they are paying over the price you paid for the property? Um, that's a great question. The, the answer is yes, they eventually will know. They may not know when I send them that first email that I talked about where I say, hey, I've got this property and you can have it, you know, you can buy it for $110,000 in my example. They may not know at that point what the assignment fee is, <clears throat> but if they agree to purchase it for $110,000, ultimately, because they are taking legal responsibility for the purchase agreement, they need to see the purchase agreement, right? They need to see that when they agree to take legal responsibility. We don't show the purchase agreement to all of the buyers that we send this information to because until they have an agreement with us to actually buy the property, they don't need to see it. They, that document is not, not for them. They don't have access to it. But once they agree to buy it at a certain price, then they see the purchase agreement and then it's a matter of math, right? I tell them they can have it for 110. They agree to 110 and then they see the purchase agreement and they see that we bought it for 100 and they do the math and they say, oh, they're making $10,000. Now, I mentioned early on before I answered any of the questions, I said, for my program, the Find and Fund Blueprint, one of the reasons why a wholesaler might want to, be, might want to raise money in order to have it available to buy properties is for this reason. Scenario, if I were to get a property under contract for $100,000, right? It'll go back to my original, um, my original scenario. I buy it for 100, or I agree to buy it for $100,000. Now let's just say that property, let's just say the ARV, which we talked about earlier, the ARV, just for the sake of argument, let's just go crazy. Let's just say the ARV is 300,000. And the house doesn't need a lot of work, okay? This rarely happens. It's, it's, a, it's a unicorn, right? But let's just say the ARV is 300,000. I buy it or get it under contract for 100,000, right? In this scenario, if it doesn't need a lot of work, I could probably sell this to most investors easily for $200,000, maybe maybe 225, 230, who knows, right? But at least I could mark it up $100,000. Most buyer, the, the psychology of, of a human being is such that if I agree to spend $200,000 on a house because I know it's worth $300,000 after I renovate it, if I agree to that as the buyer and then I see the purchase agreement and I go, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. They, they're, they have it under contract for 100,000 and they're asking me to pay 200. So they're gonna make $100,000 just by assigning it to me. Most people will have a negative reaction to that. Even though five minutes before that, $200,000 purchase price for them was a good purchase price. They were happy about it. They were excited about it, right? $200,000 made sense for them until they saw how much I was making. 
as the wholesaler in between the two, right? They see that I'm making $100,000 and now they're mad that, that they're paying 200,000. It's, it's human psychology. It, it happens almost every single time when you have a scenario where the wholesalers are making a ton of money. And so in those cases, if I got that deal, I would buy it outright from the seller for $100,000. And then I would sell it to my buyer for $200,000. That, that's just the way I would do it. They can still find out that I paid $100,000 for it, but not until down the line, right? It's going to be after we close it, they'll find out. And really, they shouldn't care. But it's like this, right? If I told you I was going to give you a million dollars, you'd be ecstatic, right? Well, what if I told you I was going to give you a lottery ticket that was worth $5 million dollars? but it was going to be taxed $4 million and you're only going to keep a million dollars. That million dollars feels different now. Most people would be pissed that they're only going to get 1 million of the $5 million lottery ticket and that 4 million was going to be taken out in taxes, right? It's a totally different psychology. A million dollars sounded great 30 seconds ago when I said, I'll give you a million dollars, you were ecstatic until you found out that the lottery ticket was actually a $5 million lottery ticket, but it was going to be taxed $4 million, right? It's the same thing happens with wholesaling. They're happy to pay $200,000 until they found out you, find out you got it for $100,000 and you're going to probably make more than them on the deal, right? Human psychology. So in that case, uh, we, are, uh, we are going to want to buy it ourselves and then sell it to the buyer uh, in a separate transaction. Okay, guys, that's all I got for this week. Uh, don't forget, we're here every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern time, 4 p.m. Pacific time. I'm here to answer your questions. I'm happy. I love doing this with you guys. It's a lot of fun for me, and hopefully it's helpful for you. Don't forget, go to my uh, my blueprint, my Find and Fun Blueprint. Go to findandfunblueprint.com. You can check out the program, see what it's about, find out more about me if you don't know a lot about me already, and sign up right there. I highly, highly suggest you go and take a look right now. Do it now. The cost of the program is ridiculously low. I want to make it accessible to everybody. I don't care how new you are, and if you're a seasoned investor, I tell you, I'm telling you right now, you're going to learn things you didn't know. I'm going to blow your mind. I will over deliver. I promise you that. And we are going to get you on track to hit your goals this year. The year is not over. We never say die. I want you to hit your goals. Go join the program and I can help you do that. All right, guys, we'll see you next week on Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Send in those questions and I'll see you in a, in a, in a, see you in a week. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.